Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated for the continued health of Rabbi Khanafar Khanabat Semafega, for and the week of Kobru sponsored by David Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. Breakfast is also dedicated Lilu Nishmat Selim Ben Sarah and my uncle David whose yard site as well is today. We'd also like to wish a Mazal Tov and a Mabruk to pillars of our community who uh, moved to Brooklyn, who I'm sure are now pillars of the Brooklyn community, um, to Dan and Jen uh, Mizrahi, who are, who, uh, are having a Brit Milah this morning. Um, and, uh, and unfortunately, we did not get the Yehishem, Sammy. They got the Yehishem over there. But we still forgive them and love them uh, and wish them only the best. Okay, beautiful. Let's begin. The Torah tells us, The Pasuk here is telling us about the fact that Yitzchak, after finding this amazing woman called Rivka, Yitzchak brings her to the tent of his mother. Um, and this, it's an interesting expression. What does it mean? He brought her to the tent of his mother. What does that mean? Rashi says, and he's quoting really already from the Midrash, so I'll give you what the Midrash says. Ha'ohela What does that mean? The tent of his mother, Sarah. She, behold, she was Sarah's mother. What does that mean? You know, there's a concept that the boys like to marry their mothers. Their mother took care of them. They're looking for someone that uh, re- reminds them that will replace their mom. But that's not the psychological angle. It's not what the Midrash is telling you. Kilomar says the Midrash, what do I mean to tell you? Vinasit dugmat saraimo. She was like, uh, the, the, she was modeled after uh, saraimo. She calls man she sarah kayemet. So long as sarah was alive, hayaner dolek me'erev shabbat le'erev shabbat. There was a candle that would last from Erev Shabbat to Erev Shabbat, from Friday to Friday. And there was a blessing that was found in the Isa, in the dough, okay, of the, the challah, the, the bread that she made. And there was a, a, a cloud that was tied, so to speak, to the top of the, of the tent of Sarai Menu to illustrate that the Shekhinah was there uh, in that tent. And once she passed away, Pasca, Pasku, they, all three things disappeared. And when Rivka came to town, suddenly uh, all of those blessings came back. Now the first thing I think you have to notice is that how many things, things did we just mention were present in the tent of Sarai Menu? Three things. What were they one more time? Ner dolek, me'erev Shabbat, le'erev Shabbat. There was a candle that would last from Friday to Friday. And unlike Sammy's candle yesterday on Haron's birthday muffin, it was not a Yorotai candle. It didn't last seven days because it was that big. It was a special miracle that the candle would last uh, all the entire week from Erev Shabbat to Erev Shabbat. That's the first miracle. Second miracle is there was a bracha in the dough. Third, third miracle is there was anan kashur ala oil. There was the presence of the Shekhinah that was always there. What is fascinating is that we say every Friday night that there are three mitzvot that a woman has, that belong to a woman, and she's actually also t- taken into account for not fulfilling <coughs> those mitzvot properly. So much so that the Pasuk says, the Mishnah says, 
על שלוש עבירות, נשים מתות בשעת לידתן. There's three uh, mitzvot that a woman passes away from not doing them properly בשעת לידתן when they're giving birth. And what are, the, what are those? What are those mitzvot that if she doesn't do them properly, it can cause a danger to be present in the time of birth? Go ahead one more time. Hala. Right? Those three things. It's fascinating that ner and hala are two of the miracles of Sarai Menu. The light, the light that would light from Erev Shabbat to Erev Shabbat. The bracha that was found in the chala that she made. And then the last one is anan kashur ala oil. What are we referring to when we talk about the anan kashur as we explained? We explained that it meant that there was a presence of the shekhinah in the home. That idea is tied to the third of the mitzvot of the woman, which is alanida, uh, which refers to maintaining a sense of purity by going to the mikveh, by fulfilling the mitzvot that are related to a woman to remain in a status of tahara, a status of purity. My friends, I want to illustrate something that I think is very powerful. Because to me, um, there's, there's something uh, I think uncanny a little bit about these ideas. What are these three berachot? A woman brings to the home three blessings. Three blessings that are powerful. Of course, she brings many blessings. But there's three blessings that are very powerful. And not only are they powerful as mitzvot, like a good thing to do, but what we're seeing over here in the Mishnah in Shabbat that says, that they pay a price when they don't do it, that it's a mitzvah which falls under the realm of a sacred responsibility. And that's what a woman brings into the house. So let's analyze what are these three things that a mother, that a wife brings into the home which cause such an important change in the status of the home. Let's deal with them one at a time. The first is that she brings a ner mi'erev Shabbat le'erev Shabbat. The Gemara tells us that the lighting of the candles on Friday night is incredibly important. And in fact, if you have to choose between using the, the shemen, if you have a limited amount of oil, and you could use it for one thing or the other, what do you spend the money on? You spend the money on the Nero Shabbat. And the Gemara asks, why is the Ner Shabbat so important? And the Gemara answers that the Ner Shabbat represents Shalom Bayit. And how does it represent Shalom Bayit? Because, God forbid, if, a, if there was no light in the, day, in the house on Friday night, Remember, it's not like uh, today when we have electricity. If you didn't light the candle on Friday night, then there's no light in the house. If there's no light in the house, then there's no shalom. The Gemara says that a person is liable to trip, a person might fall, and then they'll start arguments. My friends, the Gemara is not saying something as simple as it seems on the surface. I don't think the Gemara is telling you that, you know what, as you're moving from the west wing of your mansion to the east wing of your mansion, it's very difficult to navigate without a candle. And we're worried that you might, you know, trip. And if you shouldn't light the candles, then, you know, then it's a big problem. That's not what it's trying to say. I think there's something here that is much more important, that is much more seminal, if you will, that we're learning about what the koach, what the power of a woman is. Naturally, biologically, physically, when a man brings to the process of childbirth, is potential. He brings something, a zera, a seed that can become something that is much more. But even though the man brings that zera, part of that process is infinite potential. 
millions of possibilities in the process of having of giving giving the male uh, donation, if you will, to the pro- to the process of childbirth. But out of those millions of seeds that a person has in that zera, only one of them, and only sometimes, will actually become anything. The nature of men is to be able to have infinite possibility. It's not to be restrained, not to be restricted. They are, so to speak, as we say, chomer, in the, in the writings of the, uh, of the great thinkers, of the great mystics. The nature of a man is chomer. The nature of a woman is tsura. She takes that material and forms it into something. Now, by definition, the formation of that into something limits that thing. So before it could have been a boy or a girl, it could have been any of millions of, uh, of the zera. And what are we winding up with at the end of that process? You're winding up with one child. You literally limited all of that infinite potential into one thing. Now that one thing is smaller, but that one thing actually exists. That one thing actually develops, becomes something. The koach of a isha is to take potential and to refine potential into something which is actual. Many, many times, you know, we talk about how men have trouble with commitment. Men don't have trouble with commitment because they like to play around. Men have trouble with commitment because by their nature, they represent the limitless, the infinite possibilities of Chomer. So anytime it comes to narrowing down choices, that's something that a man feels uh, an abrasion, a, a rejection to. So again, that idea is really found in the Hadlakat Nerot. What does it mean? When the woman lights the candles, she shows that there's a path that the person is supposed to take. In the nature of man, the man can be feeling around in the dark with infinite places to go, but winds up tripping in many different ways. So the idea of Shalom Bayit, what does she bring? Shalom also is the same letters as Shalem, which means something which is whole, something which is perfection. That's what it means that the Sarah Imenu lit a candle me Erev Shabbat, le Erev Shabbat. She took this light of Shabbat, what is the nature of Shabbat? Think about this for one second. Shabbat is the time when we stop working. The nature of a man is to keep going and going and going. What is his wife supposed to help him do? Anchor him into something that is realistic. Being realistic does not mean restricting, confining. It doesn't mean taking away. It actually means giving something. But a woman has two options when she's helping, when she's uh, encouraging her husband to do that. One is in a defeatist way. She crushes his dreams and tells him to stop being a dreamer and be actual. The other is where she actually gives his dreams wings. She turns his dreams into something. And that idea is mi erev Shabbat le erev Shabbat. She was constantly able to turn a person who's at work in so many different ways into the Kiddushah of Shabbat, which says, Whatever you made up until now, let's work with that. Let's live with that. Avraham Avinu was running around doing kiruv, teaching everyone in the whole world. Sarai Menu said, okay, you went out, you the top of the funnel, you got everybody in. Who's coming through? Who's in our home? Who's living in the Beit Midrash? Who's studying? Who's developing? Who's keeping Shabbat? Who's keeping Tarata Mishbacha, putting on tefillin, putting tzitzit? Now, of course, that's limiting. Because you're focusing on quality and not on quantity.
But a person in this life needs to be able to have that admixture of both. That's the first biracha of Sarah Imenu. That she's able to light a candle me'erev Shabbat le'erev Shabbat. She's able to take the koach, the power of Shabbat, and pull it into the work week and express its beauty and express its ideas in every which way uh, to a person. A man that doesn't have that a lot of times is left feeling dejected that his many ideas didn't work out. But that's how it's supposed to be. The man is supposed to shoot up so many shots into the air knowing that many of them will fail. But with the limitless potential that he has, the ones that land will actually be good. The challenge is when a person doesn't have that ner Shabbat dolek me erev Shabbat erev Shabbat that he just keeps firing and he doesn't hone in on the ones that landed and and develop the ones that landed. That is the power of the feminine, the ability to do that, not in a discouraging way. Look, all these things failed. At least you have this. No, look, you said she's supposed to say the opposite. Look at everything that you've achieved with all those shots in the fact that this one was. Successful. Those are the two viewpoints. My friends, when a man doesn't have that in his life, then in the darkness, so to speak, he trips and there's no shlemut, and there's no shalom in the bayit. There's no peace in the person's soul because they don't have that feminine touch, so to speak, pushing it across a finish line. The second of the gifts that she brings is, as it says, there was bracha metsuyah isa. There was blessing found in the isa, in, in the dough. What does this mean, blessing found in the dough? There's a fascinating sentence I want to draw your attention to. We say about the Yetzer Hara, we say to God, Hashem, we always want to do the right thing. We want to do the right thing, don't we? Problem is, what do we have? A Yetzer Hara. And what do we call the Yetzer Hara? In the language of Chazal, Seor Shebi'isa which means the yeast in the dough. Listen, listen carefully. Dough makes two things. It makes bread and it makes matzah. And our rabbis tell us that the difference between matzah that comes from dough and challah that comes from dough, chametz that comes from dough, is that they both have the same ingredients. But if you give enough time to the dough to rise, what happens? It becomes bread. There's nothing more present in dough that became chametz to dough that became matzah. The only difference is that it was given the time to be able to rise and make something of itself that actually it isn't. Our rabbis talk about chametz being the concept of ego. What was Sarah Imenu's gift? To be bracha in Isa. A man unchecked his ego, his testosterone ruins him. He can't back down. He can't see value. He only sees his own dominance, his own power, and his own control. And in that, he lacks that humility. Sarah Imenu brought a bracha to the Isa. That's why Abraham Avinu says to Sarah Imenu, Lushi va'asi ugot. Our rabbis tell us, what was the ugot that he tells Sarah to bake? Not cookies, not bread. What were those ugot? Matzot. Ugot, matzot, kilo chametz. We find that word elsewhere in the Torah. He tells her to make ugot, he tells her to make matzah. So the only thing we hear Avraham telling Sarah to make is matzah. If you're Avraham 
and you're, in, you're the biggest guy, the biggest thing since literally sliced bread. Everyone's coming to your tent. Kings are bowing before him. He's humiliating kings in war. He's humiliating kings who kidnapped his wife. Abraham Avinu is riding high. There's no one who could touch him. You know what the danger to Avhamon Goyim is? The guy who was the big daddy? The danger is that he feels like the big daddy. Sarah was his bracha shebe'isa. She was the blessing in his dough. That she made sure that the dough did not rise to imagine itself to be something that it was not. I don't know. If I would come home from the Akedah, if I would come home from Lech Lecha, if I would come home from killing Paro, forget about it. I don't know if any of you has ever had the, the golden opportunity to exchange trash talk with Sammy Sutton. Sammy Sutton is the, the master of trash talking. On the court, when it comes to his teams, he could have the, he could have the worst team, he's still trash talking you even if you have the best team. Unbelievable. I could win the World Series, the Mets could be in last place. He could still be convinced the Mets are better than the Yankees. I want you to understand, unbelievable trash talk. But Sammy Sutton would not hold the candle to me if I was Abraham Avinu, having done all of those things. Right? I'll come home, hail the conquering hero. Sarah Imenu was bracha Isa. And I want to explain this. It is a very special bracha and blessing to have a wife that keeps you humble without stopping your drive for perfection and success. I want you to understand, you, never, you ever see when you take a, a, like a medicine dropper and it says, you know, put three drops of the medicine and you're sitting there like, a, like as if you're making like the atom bomb. Like, you know, you're like this, one, two, oh no, two and a half, right? You're doing the thing. You understand how delicate it has, you have to be to be able to quiet a man's ego but at the same time not extinguish his fire. That's the bracha that Sarah Yimenu bought, the bracha Shabbat Isa. So important for, for women to understand this uh, opportunity, this role that they have. Unfortunately, many don't only make you a matzah flat, they jump up and down on you, you understand? Unfortunately, that's the way it is. Not everybody, not everyone's great, not everyone's bad. But Sarah Yimenu, she had a golden standard. Okay? And Yitzchak Avinu is looking around, who's going to replace, who's going to replace his mother? Not replace his mother, Yani, be a mother to him. But once you saw a woman like that, it makes it hard to marry someone and lower your expectations, correct? My friends, the last thing is, there was Anan Kashur ala Ohel. She made sure always that there was a, a, a cloud over the tent. But which cloud? The cloud of the Shekhinah. My friends, a Jewish home is supposed to be pure. In the mitzvah, it's represented by nida. But of course, it doesn't start and end with nida and going to the mikveh. I want to express what this idea means. When a woman goes to the mikveh, the Sfarim tells us, tell us that when she goes to the mikveh, the mikveh carries within it 40 sa'ah of water. That's the amount of water that's in it. And our writings tell us the deeper writings explain that the number 40 always is associated with something being uh, created, something being born. As an example, until 40 days, a person is capable of praying for the baby to be male or female, because until 40 days, the Gemara says, Maya ba'alma. 
It's just water, Ya'ani. It's not developed into something. After the 40-day mark, something is being born here. Something has really been created. Therefore, mikveh also is 40 days, is 40, is 40 sa'ah. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to purify the world because it was filled with Hamas and impurity, as it said by Noah, what does God say? I'm going to bring a mabul 40 days and 40 nights, illustrating as well that number of 40. He, he literally took the whole world and he dipped it in the mikveh. That was the idea of the flood. Does that make sense? So when a woman goes into the mikveh, or a man, by the way, when you go to the mikveh and you dip in the waters, Asfarim tell us, it's like being once again in the mother's womb, surrounded by amniotic fluid, you're starting again. I always think to myself also, the halakha is that a person's whole body needs to be under the water, correct? So when you go into a mikveh, what do you do? The first thing you do is you bend down. I want you to think next time you go to the mikveh, that act of bending down is mimicking the fetal position. The way a baby is in the mother's womb, where the head and the shoulders and the arms come down towards the knees. You're literally contracting. And there's something very special about that idea. This disconnection from everything else around you and being surrounded completely by the water. This concept is what purifies in a mikveh. Now a woman has this concept all the time because of her cycles. Now this idea means that a woman is constantly in a state of purification, of purity. She's constantly in the state of disconnection from everything else around and connecting to what? When you're disconnected from the world, what are you connected to? Only yourself. That reconnection with one's self, that disconnection from everything in the world, all of the noise, all of the money and the rat race and the politics and the tragedies and the news and the shallowness allows a person to reconnect with, with themselves. What a woman brings when she brings to her home, she covers the home with an anan, with a cloud. She makes that the only thing that's noticeable in the home is the home. She makes the home a receptacle where you could fine tune exactly what is in the home and what is not in the home. Outside in the world, the world has a thing called cancel culture. You do something wrong, we destroy that person. Outside in the world, we have a very shallow viewpoint of people, of, of accomplishments. The most famous people in the world do the least important things in the world. Think about that for one second. If the most important people in the world were to die tomorrow, and I'm judging the most important people based on the people that are on the cover of all the magazines, are in the news all the time, what would happen? They'd have to get some other actor to fake a story about something on TV or the movies. They would need to find another person to hit a ball with a stick. Hazaku Baruch. The most famous people in our world are the people who matter least to the world. Think about that for a second. This disconnection from the world allows a person to go back to the most important human values. To be able to feel and touch and experience people without the expectations of the world around us. That is the purity that a woman brings to the home. And that's the Anan Kashur Ala'oya. My friends, when Rivka Imenu came, all of a sudden, these three miracles were reinstated. And says the Pasuk, Yitzchak, and Yitzchak finally felt comforted for his mother. Because what his mother had brought to the world and had brought to their home 
he now knew he was going to be able to pass along to his children. Women, anyone who's listening to this class, take these responsibilities very seriously. They are the difference between a successful, happy husband, a productive husband. They're the difference between happy and healthy children and children who feel crushed all the time. Understanding these differences is everything. In the world, the world will tell you that if your child doesn't get a chance to get the best grades in school, to go to the best university, to achieve the highest, then that child is going to not be a successful child. But how many children, in order to get those those grades, are tortured by their parents? And I don't mean tortured by their parents physically. Their expectations, the feelings that they get when they don't get a perfect grade. I can tell you one thing. If you have a child that is healthy and adjusted and has no education, that child will do okay in this life. If you have a child that is the most educated child in the world, but is destroyed on an emotional level, goes through school crying all the time, uh, under incredible stress, anxiety, and uh, who knows what, from the time they're a child. That, that child might be very well educated, but they may be very poorly equipped to be a wife, a husband, a father, uh, an employee uh, in this life. Sometimes we buy hook, line, and sinker, the Kool-Aid uh, that's being given. And I, I need to illustrate this. In the world that we live in, the greatest academic success you could achieve is to get your child into the hallowed halls of an Ivy League university. That's what academia tells you. But every single one of the Ivy League universities has failed the most basic test of humanity. And we have witnessed it with our own eyes. Silent in the terms, in the face of the most horrific, barbaric attacks. And suddenly finding their humanity again when it came to a a nation defending itself against those attacks. And I will ask you one more time, if you think it is important to disconnect from the world's values and to create an anan around your home. Because when the world is whispering sweet nothings in your ear, you go with it blindly and you send your children here until a Columbia professor needs to stand up and say, I'm saying this in front of the main building of the school. This school can no longer keep your children safe. Hazaku Baruch, that you pushed your kid, drove your kid nuts, made them anxious, gave them all sorts of problems with their self-esteem, but you got him to a place where he can't feel safe and he's considered scum of the earth and people are spitting on him as he walks to class. Well done. That's what happens when you've not disconnected your home, at least occasionally, from the noise outside. You forget what your soul, what your heart knows how to tell you. Hashem should bless us all to fulfill our roles, to fulfill our mission, our purpose. And in the case of the Nashim Tzidkaniot, the magic that only they bring to a Jewish home. Baruch Adonai Le'olam.